You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a cycle of lectures by Rudolf Steiner, entitled The Four Seasons and the Archangels. This is Lecture 4, entitled The Saint John Imagination. If we now go forward from Easter, the Spring Festival, we shall need to penetrate much more spiritually into the subject than we had to do in considering the previous seasons of the year. This may sound like a contradiction, but it is not so. In thinking of the Christmas season, we had to start from the way in which earthly material limestone is gradually transformed, and we carried this thought over to the time of Easter. In general, we have been observing the active working of the spiritual in the material realm. Now, at midsummer, humanity is really enmeshed within the being of nature. From spring onward into summer, the nature process becomes constantly more active, more inwardly saturated, and human beings become thoroughly interwoven in this nature process. We can indeed say that in high summer human beings experience a kind of nature consciousness. During spring, if they have the perception and feeling for it, they become one with all that is growing and sprouting. They blossom with the flower, germinate with the plant, fruit with the plant, enter into everything that lives and has its being in the world outside. In this way they project their personality into the being of nature, and a kind of nature consciousness arises in them. Then, since in autumn nature dies away and thus bears death within itself, human beings too, if they participate in what autumn the time of Michaelmas, means for nature, must also experience this death within themselves. But in their own selves they must not take part in it. They must raise themselves above it. Precisely when nature consciousness is strongest, a strengthening of their self-consciousness must occur. But in the glow of summer, just because a nature consciousness is then at its height in humanity, It is all the more necessary for the cosmos that, if only human beings are willing, the cosmos should bring the spiritual to meet them. Hence we can say, in summer human beings are closely enmeshed in nature, but if they have the right feeling and perception for it, objective spirituality comes toward them from nature's interweaving life. And so, to find the essential human being during St. John's time, at midsummer we must turn to the objective spirituality in the outer world, and this is present everywhere in nature. Only in outward appearance is nature the sprouting, budding, one might say the sleeping being, which calls forth from the powers of sleep the forces of vegetative growth, in which a kind of sleeping nature life is given form. But in this sleeping nature, 
if only human beings have the perception for it. The spirit that animates and weaves through everything in nature is revealed. So it is that if at midsummer we follow nature with deepened spiritual insight and with perceptive eyes, we find our gaze directed to the depths of the earth itself. We find that the minerals down there display their inner crystal-forming process more vividly than at any other time of the year. If we look with imaginative perception into the depths of the earth at St. John's Tide, we really have the impression that down there are the crystalline forms into which the hard earth consolidates, the very crystalline forms that gain their full beauty at the height of summer. At midsummer, everything down below the earth shapes itself into lines, angles, and surfaces. If we are to have an impression of it as a whole, we must picture this crystallizing process as an interweaving activity, colored throughout with deep blue. I will try to show it on the blackboard, though of course I can do so only in a quite sketchy way. And that's picture five. So we can say, on looking downward, we have an impression of linear forms suffused with blue, and everywhere the blue is shot through with lines that sparkle like silver, so that everywhere, within the silver sparkling blue, the crystallizing process, white, can be discerned. It is as though nature wishes to present her formative power in a wonderfully mobile design, but a design that cannot be seen in the way we see with our ordinary sight. It is seen in such a way that one really feels oneself dissolved into the mobile design and feels every silver gleaming line down there to be within oneself, part of oneself. One feels that as a human, be- as a human form, one has grown out of the blue depths of the earth, earth's crust, and one feels inwardly permeated with force by the silver gleaming crystal lines. All this seems part of one's own being. And if one comes to oneself and asks, quote, how is it that these silver sparkling crystal lines and waves are working within myself? What is it that lives and works there, silver gleaming in the blue of the earth? Close quote. Then one knows that is cosmic will. And when, gazing downward, one has the feeling of rising out of cosmic will. This is how it is when one looks down into the depths of the earth. And what does one see if one looks up to the heights? The impression is of outspreading cosmic intelligence. Human intelligence, as I have often said, is not worth much at its present stage. But the heavens at midsummer give one the feeling that cosmic intelligence is active everywhere. The intelligence not of single beings, but of many beings who live together and within one another. Thus, we have up there the outspreading intelligence woven through with light, living intelligence shining forth, yellow, as the polar opposite of will. And while we feel that down below, in that blue darkness, everything is experienced only as forces, up above we feel everything is such that in perceiving it we are illumined, permeated, 
with a feeling of intelligence. And now within this radiant activity there appears, I cannot put it otherwise, a form. When we were speaking of autumn, I had to name Michael as the significant figure who rises before our souls out of the weaving of nature. As to how Gabriel, to use the old name, enters into the time of Christmas, we shall have more to say. In the last lecture I showed you how at Easter, the season of spring, the figure of Raphael comes before us. He comes in dramatic guise as the mediator who arouses in us the proper approach to reverence and worship to what the Easter imagination, the cosmic Easter imagination, is. And now for St. John's time there appears, to describe it in human terms, which are of course bound to be only approximate, an extraordinary earnest countenance. It arises, glowing warmly out of the pervading radiant intelligence, red head in the yellow in picture five. We have the impression that this figure forms its warm body of light out of the radiant intelligence. And for this to happen at the height of summer, something I have already described must arise. The elemental spirits of the earth must soar upward. As they do so, they weave themselves into the shining intelligence up above, and the shining intelligence receives them into itself. And out of that gleaming radiance, the figure I have just mentioned takes form. This form was divined by the old instinctive clairvoyance, and we can give it the same name by which it was known then. We can say in summer, Uriel appears in the midst of the shining intelligence. So a little chart, autumn, Michael, winter, Gabriel, spring, Raphael, summer, Uriel. It is with great earnestness that this representative of the weaving cosmic forces appears in the time of summer, seeking to embody himself in a vesture of light. There are more things we can observe as the deeds accomplished by Uriel in the radiant light. Uriel, whose own intelligence arises fundamentally from the working together of the planetary forces of our planetary system, supported by the working of the fixed stars of the zodiac. Uriel, who in his thought cherishes the thoughts of the cosmos. And so, quite directly, the feeling comes. You, clouds of summer, radiant with intelligence, in which the blue crystal formations of the earth below are reflected upward, just as these blue crystal formations mirror in turn the shining intelligence of the summer clouds. Out of your shining in high summer an earnest countenance appears, a concentrated imagination of cosmic understanding. Now the deeds of this embodied cosmic understanding, this cosmic intelligence, are woven in light. Through the power of attraction in the concentrated cosmic intelligence of Uriel, the silver forces, white, are drawn upward. And in the light of this inwardly shining intelligence, as seen from the earth, they appear as radiant sunlight, densifying into a glory of gold. One has the immediate feeling that the gleaming silver, 
streaming up from below, is received by the sun-lit radiance above, and the earth-silver, the phrase is quite correct, is changed by cosmic alchemy into the cosmic gold living and weaving in the heights. If we follow these happenings further, during August, we gain an impression of something that complements the form of Michael already described. I told you what the sword of Michael is made of and whence the dragon draws his coiling life. But now in the radiant beauty that appears spiritually out of the cosmic weaving at the height of summer, we ask ourselves, whence does Michael, who leads us over to autumn, to the time of Michaelmas, derive his characteristic raiment, the raiment which first lights up in golden sunshine, and then inwardly as a silver sparkling radiance within the golden folds. Where does Michael acquire this gold-woven, silver-sparkling raiment? It comes from what is formed in the heights through the upward-raying silver and the gold that flows to meet it, from the transmutation of the sun's power of the silver sparkling upward from the earth. As autumn approaches, we see how the silver given by the earth to the cosmos returns as gold, and the power of this transmuted silver is the source of what happens in the earth during winter, as I have described. The sun gold formed in the heights, in the dominion of Uriel, during high summer, passes down to weave and flow through the depths of the earth, where it animates the elements that in the midst of winter are seeking to become the living growth of the following year. So you see that when we come to the time of sprouting, springing life, we can no longer speak of matter permeated by spirit, as we speak of the earth in winter. We have to speak of spirit woven through with matter, that is, with silver and gold. Of course, you must not take all this too literally. You must think of the silver and gold as diluted far beyond the level of human comprehension. Then you will come to feel that all this is a kind of background for the cosmic, light-filled deeds of Uriel, and a clear impression of the countenance and gaze of Uriel will appear before you. We feel a deep longing to understand this remarkable gaze, directed downward, and we have the impression we must look around to find out what it signifies. Its meaning first dawns upon the mind when, as human beings, we learn to penetrate with spiritual vision still more deeply into the blue, silver-gleaming depths of the earth in summer. And we see that weaving around these silver-gleaming crystalline rays are shapes, disturbing shapes, I might almost call them, which continually gather and dissolve, gather and dissolve. Then we come to perceive, the vision will be different for everyone, that these shapes are human errors, which stand out in contrast to the natural order of regular crystals here below. And it is on this contrast that Uriel directs his earnest gaze. Here, during the height of summer, the imperfections of mankind, in contrast to the regularity of the growing crystal forms, are searchingly scanned. 
Here it is that from the earnest gaze of Uriel we gain the impression of how the moral is interwoven with the natural world order. Here the moral world order does not exist only in ourselves as abstract impulses. For whereas we habitually look at the realms of nature without asking whether there is morality in the growth of plants or in the process of crystallization, now we see how at midsummer human errors are woven into the regular crystals which are formed in the normal course of nature. On the other hand, everything in the nature of human virtue and human excellence rises up with the silver gleaming lines and is seen as the clouds that envelop Uriel, red. It enters into the radiant intelligence, transmuted into cloud-shaped works of art. It is impossible to behold the increasingly earnest gaze of Uriel directed toward the depths of the earth without also seeing there something like wing-like arms or arm-like wings raised in earnest admonition. And this gesture of Uriel's rouses in mankind what I might call the historic conscience. Here at midsummer there appears this historic conscience which at the present time has become uncommonly feeble. It appears, as it were, in Uriel's warning gesture. You must picture all this, of course, as an imagination. These things are quite real, but I cannot speak of them in the way a physicist speaks of positive and negative, of potential energy and so on. I have to speak in pictures that will come to life in your souls. But everything expressed in these living pictures is reality. It is there. And now, if we have come to perceive the connection existing between human morality and the crystalline element below and between human virtues and the shining beauty above, and if we take these connections into our inner experience, the real St. John imagination will appear to us. For the St. John imagination is there, just as we have the Michael imagination, the Christmas imagination, and the Easter imagination. So, to spiritual observation, this picture appears as a kind of culmination, above, illuminated, as it were, by the power of Uriel's eyes, the dove, white, the silver sparkling blue below, arising from the depths of the earth and bound up with human weaknesses and error, is gathered into a picture of the earth mother, blue. Whether she is called Demeter or Mary, the picture is of the earth mother. So it is that, in directing our gaze downward, we cannot do otherwise than bring together in imagination all those secrets of the depths which go to make up the earth mother of all existence. While in all that is concentrated in the flowing form above we feel and experience the Spirit Father of everything around us. And now we behold the outcome of the working together of Spirit Father with Earth Mother, bearing so beautifully within itself the harmony of the earthly silver and the gold of the heights. Between the Father and the Mother we behold the Son. Thus there arises this imagination of the Trinity, which is really the St. John imagination. The background of it is Uriel, the creative, admonishing Uriel.
What the Trinity truly represents should not be placed dogmatically before the soul, for then an impression is given that such an idea or picture of the Trinity can be separated from the weaving of cosmic life. This is not so. At midsummer the Trinity reveals itself out of the midst of cosmic life, cosmic activity. It comes forth with inwardly convincing power, if I might say. One has first penetrated into the mysteries of Uriel. Let me read that again. It comes forth with inwardly convincing power if, I might say, one has first penetrated into the mysteries of Uriel. If we were to present St. John's Tide in this way, there would have to be an arched or vaulted background with the figure of Uriel and his gesture in the manner I have described. And against this background a living picture of the imagination of the Trinity would have to arise. Special arrangements would be necessary. The effect would have to be that of painting done instantaneously, perhaps by making artistic use of vaporous substances or the like. And if we conjure up the true imagination of these things for people to witness, it must be at St. John's time. At Easter we have the complete picture only when we bring it into dramatic form, with Raphael present as a teacher in the mystery play that would have then to be presented. Raphael who leads mankind into the secrets of healing nature, of the healing cosmos. In a similar way at St. John's time, all that can then be seen in weaving pictures would have to be transposed into powerful music, so that the cosmic mystery as it can be experienced by mankind at this season of St. John, would speak to our hearts. We must imagine how all that I have described should find artistic expression, on the one hand, in the fine arts. But what is experienced in this way must be given life by the musical tones embodying the poetic motif which plays through our souls when we feel our way to great Uriel active in the light, who calls up in us a powerful impression of the Trinity. The silver gleam that rays up from below and is revealed in the form-giving beauty of the light above must be expressed at St. John's Tide through appropriate musical instrumentation. Thus we should find, through these musical harmonies, our own inner harmony with the cosmos, for in them the secret of our coexistence with the cosmos at St. John's Tide would have to sound forth. All this would have to be given voice in the music, so that in looking up to the heights we would be looking at the weaving gold of the cosmos and would see the glowing form of Uriel emerging from the light-filled gold and directing his gaze and his gesture down to the earth as I have described. All this would have to be not in any fixed form, but in living movement. That would be one motif, a heavenly motif through which we can feel ourselves united on one side with the shining cosmic intelligence. On the other hand, in the depths, we feel ourselves united with the tendency to fixed form, with what is immersed in the bluish darkness from out of which the silvery radiance streams forth. Down there, we feel the material foundation of active spiritual being. The heights become mysteries 
the depths become mysteries, and human beings themselves become a mystery within the mysteries of the cosmos. Right into their bony system, human beings feel the crystal-forming power. But they feel also how this same power is in cosmic union with the living power of light in the heavens above. They feel how all the morality taking place in humanity lives and has its being both in these mysteries of the heights and in these mysteries of the depths and in the uniting of them both. They feel that they are no longer sundered from the world around them but placed within it, united above with the shining intelligence in which they experience as in the womb of worlds their own best thoughts. They feel themselves united below, right into their bony system, with a cosmic crystallizing force. And they feel the two united with one another again. They feel their death united with the spirit life of the universe, and they feel how this spirit life craves to awaken and create the crystal forces and the silver gleaming life in the midst of earthly death. All this, too, would have to resound in musical tones, tones which carry these motifs on their wings and make them part of human experience. For these motifs are there. They do not have to be invented. They can be read from the cosmic activity of Uriel. Here it is that imagination passes over into inspiration. Man, however, lives in a certain sense as an embodied inspiration, as a being brought into existence by inspiration in the mysteries of the heights and depths and in the mysteries of their conjunction. He lives in the mysteries to which the Spirit Father points upward, the mysteries to which the Earth Mother points downward, the mysteries to which are united, the mysteries which are united by the fact that the Christ through the working together of the Spirit Father and the Earth Mother, stands directly before the human soul as the sustaining cosmic spirit. What is woven out of all these cosmic secrets I may put before you somewhat as follows. It is as though the human being placed in the midst of all that goes on at midsummer were to feel something like this. The first words endeavor to represent how the gaze of Uriel concentrates itself into inspiration, united with the spirit tones of the whole choir. I'm going to read the English before the German on this. Three stanzas. The first relates to the heights. Behold the active flow, the germinating glow of our warmth-engendering life. Schaue unser Weben, das leuchtende Erregen, das wärmende Leben. Next one relates to the depths. Experience and live the all-pervading being, maintaining things of earth and things formed of the breath. Lebe irdisch erhaltendes und atment gestaltetes als wesenhaft waltendes. The third one relates to the center, the inner being of man. Feel how your very bones share in the heavenly glory through the power and strength of the union of worlds. Fühle dein Menschengebeine mit himmlischem Scheine im waltenden Weltenvereine. Next one. 
Here in these nine lines in the German are the mysteries of the heights, the mysteries of the depths, the mysteries of the center, which are also those of the inner being of man. And then we have the whole gathered up as a cosmic statement of these mysteries of the heights, the depths and the center, sounding as though with organ and trumpet tones. Es werden Stoffe verdichtet. Es werden Fehler gerichtet. Es werden Herzen gesichtet. Translation. Substances are densified. Errors are judged and rectified. Hearts are sifted. Here you have that which can permeate the human being at midsummer, supporting him, exalting him, strengthening him. The St. John imagination filled with inspiration. The St. John inspiration filled with imagination in these words. The heights. Schauer unser Weben, das leuchtende Erregen, das erwärmende Leben. The depths. Lebe irdisch erhaltendes und atmend gestaltetes als wesenhaft waltendes. The center, the inner being of man. Fühle dein Menschengebeine mit himmlischen Scheine im waltenden Weltenvereine. Es werden Stoffe verdichtet, es werden Fehler gerichtet, es werden Herzen gesichtet. That is the end of Lecture 4.